as a witch. Goddess, please send me a beautiful man to love me as I love him. Southern Bramble would like to thank its top-tier Patreon sponsors for sponsoring this episode. A very special thank you to William, C. Shaw, Panther, and Josie the Mountain Troll. Thank you all so much. You're listening to an extra special episode of Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the witch who put the itch back in bitch, also known as Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram. And today we are, as Marshall, the itchy witch bitch, has said, uh, doing a very, very special episode for you. Do you remember Halloween of 2022? I don't. Um, parts of it. <laughs> lots of lots of blacking out. Um, I remember I was in a bathroom stall somewhere, and there were four other gentlemen in there with me. Um, there, was, there was a couple horse girl moments. I mean, eventually, it just <laughs> we all just nay. Uh, I'm I'm much less of a horse girl, <laughs> but I I do, um, I, I do love Diet Coca Cola. Uh, mm-hmm. so- <laughs> well, last year, so last year I went as a um sexy poo, and I don't mean like emoji i mean like winnie the pooh i remember that thank you this year i got yeah i posted pictures about it every year that i post pictures of my halloween costume i always lose followers and you know what fuck that Mm -hmm. fuck Fuck that but you don't what you want me to be slutty on main too bad um and and of course also get comments like had to zoom in on this one and i'm like well i mean that's a feature and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then, um, th- so this year I've decided to go as a slutty Mickey Mouse, and I'm waiting for like these oversized ears and these tiny little red shorts. So I'm I'm excited to see how it all comes together. Can't you just use the same tiny little red shorts that you had for your Pooh Bear costume? No, those were orange or hunge. Oh, they're very they, yeah. They are a little more on the orangey side, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I see. I don't actually. What was I doing last year? Oh, I was in um. I was in San Francisco. Yeah, actually. So, oh, I remember what I was doing in San Francisco. And they come flooding back. 
and they come flooding back. Uh, I was hanging out with Voga, uh, oh. our, our, our lovely uh, beloved friend and and uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Voga Illumisante on uh, of the Red Text podcast, and and uh, Ray as well. Um, I was hanging out with both of them about this time last year, not on Halloween though. But yeah, we were we were having fun. We were being girly. It was cute. I love that. That time. sounds like a blast. Mm. We always have that. My my city that I live in. I live, you know, I live in the neighborhood. We always have this. There's this massive block party, and we go to one of the the main clubs. And finally, over the last couple of years, you can buy a ticket online early, so you can just walk in versus having to wait in line to pay and get stamped and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll go out to there. We'll have some drinks. We'll have some fun. We'll take some pictures, and then I'll go home and get a sensible eight nights, eight hours of sleep. Mm very sensible mm, of you sensible um i don't know what i'm going to do this year because I'm, I'm not going to san francisco um this year this is like the first time in the past two years i've always i usually go out there for mm -hmm. halloween um but i i think i have i think i have a lot of magical work that i have to do this year to kind mm -hmm. of make up for the lack of magical work that i did not do the past two years i think there you go people are, are yelling at me so um but for those who have stuck with us from at least from last year thank you but marshall what are we talking about today we are having a uh special topic of discussion today we are discussing initiation Ooh, and this was like asked, recommended by by somebody from our Patreon, and I uh, we both thought that that was a really good uh, thing to to ask about was was initiatory experiences. Absolutely, and I honestly couldn't think of a better episode than our Halloween episode to talk about initiation because I think a lot of people hear the word initiation, and depending on who you are, depending on what your background is, depending on what you have researched and read that can bring up a lot of different ideas from different sources. And I kind of thought it might be a good opportunity to break some of these things down and talk about what initiation is, what it looks like, how it's been interpreted, interpreted, interpreted. You know what? I like interpreted. How it's been interpreted down the years um, and all the like. Should we get started? So um, first off, initiation. What is it? Initiation itself is very interesting because first off, in my mind, when I think of the word initiation, I think of it as a cons like a, a formal um, entry into a theme or group, into a subject matter, a formal entry. I do think of initiation as something that is somewhat more on the formal side of things. And I remember having this discussion with someone who was saying, how can a solitary person be initiated if no one initiates them and i was just like well for one that's never occurred to me before and it brought up a whole nother side of the definition of initiation that as a solitary practitioner i had not considered before and there are some people who might break off a a, a subsection of this as what you because I've been told this before, I don't think it actually has to be this pedantic, but some people think of what I did as a self-dedication, not necessarily an initiation, because I wasn't initiated by anyone else. And I think that mentality and mindset comes specifically from covens and groups, and even more so specifically, initiatory covens and groups. What do you think about that? So 
I always find the topic around initiation and self-initiation and self-dedication and blah, blah, blah. A, we all, as going off of what we were talking about yesterday with another guest, which this uh, yesterday for us is different than yesterday for you. Time travel is right, really right, weird, right. isn't it, dear listener? Mm -hmm. um, but like, oh my God, we we need to quit having the same five fucking arguments all, like every... Mm -hmm. Oh shut up! Oh my god, I'm gonna be that yelling girl that on on Instagram. Shut up. Um, <laughs> my god, uh, like, uh sometimes, sometimes the, the conversations get so fucking redundant. Um, yeah, no, there probably is going to be people who initiate through. Uh, we have to think about lineage based uh, traditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we also have to think about, um, because initiation ultimately is a reception into a spiritual lineage, tradition, or uh, formal agreement to have certain patron spirits and things like that. So the, we can potentially initiate by spirit which is something that you know for example groups like cultist sabati have publicly stated that that is the uh very important thing that they they look for in initiation um i i don't want to pretend like i know what the cultist sabati does that was andrew chumbley wasn't it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes i thought okay. yeah and uh i well yes i should know that no we're talking about uh, uh clan of tubal came but uh i we might have to cut that part out i i don't okay. like being wrong because then people will be like no you're oh, let's wrong. look it up um uh but cultus Sabati, uh the magister uh, of the present moment is uh daniel shulke um who uh obviously we we know writes for Three Hands Press, as well as uh, the Cultist Sabati's official imprint, Zoanon. That being said, um, the process of being initiated by spirit is far more uh, intense, or not intense, uh, is far more I'm trepidatious to say authentic, but is far more commonplace in spiritual traditions of um, certain, I say, uh, shamanistic with air quotes, mm -hmm. uh, shamanistic traditions. Uh, I've been using ecst ecstatic lately just because I'm trying to find some sort of. I think shamanic, shamanic can be a placeholder just as long as if you want me to hear me rant about that word for three and a half minutes just dm me on instagram um shamanic quote unquote uh initiatory traditions um uh cross culturally i should say they, a lot of the times have spiritual initiations and then there's also the other side of that too where like you have initiatory traditions uh that back that up by like okay now you have a teacher or now there's a lineage based tradition that's being mm -hmm. passed down to you um and then when we get to the 20th century and and uh even in the 19th and uh, there are other instances beyond that as well you start to see things like lodges pop up mm -hmm. um uh 
you start to see things like uh, Wicca, where there is an initiation by uh, the high priest and the high priestess um, in many cases. And this is passing the uh, tradition, the legacy down mm -hmm. from uh, initiator and as you move up the ranks and, and things like that. Um, again, hierarchical uh, lineage-based traditions, uh, lodge-based traditions. So it's complicated. I feel mm -hmm. like I just ran, uh, uh, rambled on for a little bit there. Well, no, um, no, you you made a lot of really good sense there. I would say so. Thank you. There's a lot of parts and pieces. And my point in saying so is that there's many way different ways to skin a cat. And mm -hmm. I don't think that you should be invalidating because honestly, like witch witchcraft traditions, mm -hmm. especially witchcraft lineage-based traditions, probably don't it ha it has very little to do. It might have to, uh, something to do with a mentor mm -hmm. and and getting that passed down, or even a family member mm -hmm. um, within traditions of of like uh, where you are. Basically, you become the soul or one of the uh, a handful, a small group of people who are going to get a lineage tradition passed down from you as, uh, when this when this person that you're learning from uh, retires or dies or whatever. Um, but for the most part, initiation through spiritual means, whether mm -hmm. that might be by dream, by omen, is oftentimes the precedent uh, for everything else that happens. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And, it, you know, it's very interesting because I was thinking about, like, for people who want to make maybe make some comparisons to see what initiation, quote unquote, might look like in other uh, uh, circles slash religions. I was literally thinking the other day about the way in which we baptize children in the church and do confirmation in like Catholic and Episcopalian churches. My mom forced me to go to confirmation. Like, like it was one of those things where you have to go through a certain level of schooling and training. You have a, a literal ritual and ceremony that involves making vows and promises. It reminded me very much of the concept of, of, of initiation. You're, you are being initiated in from a child to an adult who is making this choice to commit myself to this, this religious group of people and set of beliefs. And I do see that similar idea with initiation and a lot of these um, um, lineage-based traditions. Now, before we get into different types of initiations, I wanted to go over some of these initiatory traditions that exist um, now, because I do think talking about initiation, you can't remove the context from initiatory traditions. So I wanted to kind of like give some background, just some very light background on some of these traditions. Um, and we'll start with, obviously, I think one of uh, the easiest and most obvious is, of course, like Wic when it comes to Wicca. Wicca itself, historically, is an initiatory tradition. Um, started with Gardner, then you have a, a break off with Alexandrian, started by Alex and Maxine Sanders, and then you also have Sax Wicca um, by by Raymond Buckland started that tradition. Then over here in America, um, we even have the Buckland Museum over in, I believe it's Cleveland, Ohio. It is Cleveland, um, Ohio. I want to go there sometime. Uh, but what's so fascinating about these is is all of these these last two are branches off of of Gardnerian Gardnerian Wicca, and all of these 
are it's interesting. Most people don't necessarily always think of Wicca itself as a closed tradition. But if we're getting, you know, technical about the different types of, there are things that are taught after you have been initiated into these covens that does make the Gardnerian tradition a closed tradition unless you have gone through the steps to be initiated. It's the same thing with Alexandrian and very similar with, with Raymond Buckland's Sax, uh, Saxon. Um, I believe so, right? Oh, I'm not sure. I, okay. I, I honestly, I'm really bad at after a certain point, especially like sure, 20th sure. century witchcraft. I like don't pay attention anymore. Sure, no, no, absolutely. And and right off the bat, I want to make it very clear that the tra- you can learn a lot about Wicca. There are so many books that have taught a lot about Wicca. But there is something that you will not get to know, get to experience, unless you have gone through the training in these, you know, autonomous covens to get past that initiatory process to be delivered certain types of of things that come to the side. I don't know what they are. Gardnerians are sworn to all. Actually, most of them are sworn to secrecy about things that happen post initiation, things that happen in the year and the day training. That's actually quite public information. And even the um, um, Garnerian Book of Shadows, which was released online a while back, has yet to be confirmed by Garnerians themselves as one, the Book of Shadows they use, two, an actual Book of Shadows written by Jill Gardner. They're not, they won't comment on it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it could be, it might not be, but reading a book and experiencing ritual from within the actual body of people enacting that ritual are two very different things. And there's something to be said, like, even if, even if you did know the desecretous, like, the, you know, the special secrets of, mm-hmm. of the things that the inner workings of the mechanisms behind initiatory traditions, and this is for most, if not all, like you, there is something so completely different about reading it than actually being in the room, actually doing it, actually witnessing it, not even just witnessing it, but performing it and having it uh, being an active participant and and not only just being an active participant, but also being uh, under the initiatory spirits that you have initiated under. It's all very different and i want mm-hmm. to before we get started cuz there these are really important things to make is the the problem with um uh speaking so broadly on traditions especially in things like books and stuff like that mm-hmm. um uh you know Jesse Hathaway Diaz speaks about uh th- this a lot is that uh, when you write something and this is something we see in witchcraft anyways not even witchcraft, but just like his- history books and 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 especially things on like magic and religion, books on magic and religion, is that when you write something down, you have a tendency to solidify it into mm. amber. Um, so what happens is um, there there's a, a famous example, I believe, in uh, Haitian Vodou, where an anthropologist is going out and recording what these houses are doing views a special tool that specifically only this house or only a handful of houses are using but then because he wrote about it then it put the pressure not even the pressure but it it, it, it caused a sense of legitimacy uh, legitimacy that if you didn't have this you were not legitimate and so mm-hmm. then everybody started using it so you the way that we talk about these things 
even in in a podcast setting where somebody can go back and listen to it. And I'm not saying that we're going to be talking about things in that specific detail, but mm-hmm. we have a tendency to like you can alter the course of something by very small actions that you might not realize when you speak so broadly about some things. That being said, a one Gardnerian house or a, a coven might mm-hmm. do something completely different than another one just mm-hmm. because that's how living traditions work. They operate, yes, under uh, a set of belief systems, but then everybody has different interactions with their spirits. And also because people live in different places, like mm-hmm. if you, uh, yeah, it might be a little different in Gardnerian because so much of the the material on like witchcraft plants and stuff like that is written about and you can get a lot of those relatively easily but like what happens if you're trying to go find something and you live in florida like me and you need nightshade mm-hmm. well i don't have belladonna it doesn't grow here and it doesn't even grow if you put it in a pot unless you're really careful with I tried. it didn't work right. it didn't work Mm-mm. uh i can't grow mandrake to save my life Mm-mm, me too so what's my next best thing mm-hmm especially when you're in America, the plants are very different here. We have, excuse me, new world plants are very different. Mm-hmm. So how do we interact with those things? And and the tradition, my point is the tradition is going to look different eventually. And and that's very true. And it's also, but well, that's literally how we get so many different traditions of Wicca in the first place. And I don't even, I, and I only listed very specific ones that have closed initiatory traditions. There was a whole slew of ones that are actually a lot more open and free. Like um, there's the Lori Cabot tradition. She has listed several books. Her The Lori Cabot's Book of Shadows literally has three big, huge sections that are the lessons she teaches within her coven. So you could follow these and be um, of the Cabot tradition by following the books and materials that she has disseminated. You don't need to be initiated into her coven to carry that name. Um, There's Dianic Wicca, which is a break-off that was about um, kind of changing the Wicca narrative from a lord and lady to be more focused on a uh, goddess-centered, women-centered. There's some stuff going on there throughout history that we don't need to get into, but (laughs) (laughs) you you know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of breakoffs from the origin source of Gardnerian Wicca that ultimately have changed that narrative. Um, so the initiation into each one is going to look a little different. The the deity source might be different. Exactly. Even, for example, Chris Orapello and Tara Love McGuire, Besom Stang and Sword is mm-hmm. a dissemination of not the secrets of their their coven their tradition really mm-hmm. but it is the black tree ba- tradition right but it is like this is kind of an outline of what we do um this doesn't mean that you're in it but this is maybe how you can start doing your own stuff from for you know from that it, it, it can all be very different and interesting absolutely well another closed tradition um that has initiatory practice and in a very a very um I wouldn't say intense, but like a a, a well-known initiatory close practice is the fairy tradition. It's an American neo-pagan tradition uh, related to, to witchcraft. It was founded in the West Coast of the United States. 
between the 1950s and 60s by Victor Henry Anderson and his wife, Cora Anderson. Practitioners have described it as an ecstatic tradition rather than a fertility tradition. So it's kind of a break off of the way a lot of Wicca cycles the wheel of the year and and the Lord and Lady in a fertility sort of earth-based cycle and gets a little bit more into the ecstatic tradition. It's a little bit less formalized. Um, strong emphasis is placed on um, sensual experiences. And I don't mean sexual sensual. While that can be in involved more like your senses your sight your, your your touch your taste what you hear what you smell um your awareness and it, well that can include sexual mysticism it is not limited to uh, heterosexual normativity at all and that was one of the big things about the fairy tradition that really really attracted a lot of queer uh, queer people was when it started at the time it was ex most witchcraft was still kind of very heterocentric. So fairy was a big breakaway. And that spell, just if you're looking to do more information on that, F-E-R-Y tradition. Uh -huh. Yeah, I know a lot of queers in fairy. Yes, absolutely. Now, okay, so we already brought up the clan of Tubal-Cain. Uh -huh. And and the clan of Tubal Cain is known as Cochrane's craft, Robert Cochrane. Um, Wikipedia says Cochranism, but I have never heard anyone say that before. <laughs> um, it was a religious movement that kind of broke away and grew alongside Wicca during that same time period, found in the 1950s by Robert Cochrane. Um, he kind of taught this tradition uh, and and distributed it, and it's. It's kind of a response and reaction to being the antithesis of churchianity, if it makes sense. There's a lot of biblical references like Tubal Cain itself. There's a lot of of there's a lot of information within the clan of Tubal Cain that I find is so full of myth and folklore that that comes across as extremely biblical. And I find that very, very fascinating. But unless you are initiated into the coven, you actually don't get to know very much of the inner workings of. You know some of the hierarchy, some of the structure. You know, I know that Shawnee Oates is the the um is it matron or maid? Matt. It's like the the feminized yeah. form of uh, magister. Yeah. So, the, 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 I, I mean, we could say matron. That's fine. Yes, but it, it is very fascinating. Um, and, and a huge portion, most of what we consider to be traditional witchcraft today has been inspired by the letters of Robert Cochran, specifically that have been saved because Robert never actually wrote any published books. Um, there were lots of letters. He, he, he I believe, died in the 1960s. 60s, I believe, um, early 1960s, and yeah, 1966. Um, and his letters ended up really inspiring several different branches of of this very specific traditional witchcraft tradition. And I myself I have identified as a folkloric and traditional witch because of the structures that were kind of talked about and put in place that inspired the clan of Tubal Cain, that also inspired the 1734 tradition. The 1734 tradition is an American uh, uh, clan. I don't know where they are based out of specifically, um, but I do have a little information about them right here. Uh, during the 1960s, a correspondence developed between Cochrane and an American man named Joseph Wilson. The information supplied in Cochrane's letters to Wilson, along with the letters he wrote to several others during the time 
period um, formed the basis of the tradition we practice today, specifically the 1734. Cochrane also had articles published in several periodicals. Uh, so, so basically, the same information that helped build the clan of Tubal Cain also inspired uh, uh, Joseph Wilson over here in America, and he started a a whole nother traditional witchcraft branch. Now, I have spoken to several people who have been involved in the 1734 tradition, and they do have kind of a, from what I understand, if if maybe the one that this person was involved in, again, a somewhat heteronormative hierarchy going on there. So most of them do. <laughs> yeah, most of them do. Um, which is why I'm a, a a traditional witch with a lower case T, not capital T, because I'm not interested in being in, initiated into um, any covens that have a heteronormative hierarchy, if that's the case. Uh, but everything we have listed, these are all closed traditions. Most people don't think of Wicca and traditional witchcraft as closed, but that's because when we talk on the internet, we no one talks in nuance and everyone likes to make statements of absolutism. This is the nuance. We're talking about that now. The initiation is what you need to have access to the information to pretty much all of these, these groups. And that will involve usually devoting a period of time to working with a mentor within one of these groups, reaching out to them. They may not even be accepting new members at the time um, and spending time studying, learning, making a commitment to, to be initiated into this group. Because once you get into that group, the belief system and a lot of the inner workings open up a lot more. Like I do know with um, the fairy tradition, the main the main deity source is is usually referred to as the star goddess, which has a much more specific name. But again, you don't get that information till you have been initiated within. Yeah, and there's even like Mister, like for example, like what is 1734 is like it's an it's an amagram for the name of their. Uh, of the their goddess the goddess their goddess mm -hmm. um but like you don't find that out until you're initiated and it's a, you know for this it's a code for the secret name but also like i wonder too if that is a lot more subjective than but anyways it could um, be we'll never know we're done we'll never know because we're <laughs> we'll not initiated know. right well well let's cunning words Chapter 1. Spirit Contracts The man at the crossroads waited, their black hat shading their face, and a robe of darkness hid them in the night. They waited there as guardian and gatekeeper, ready and willing for one so cunning and brave. One night, at the stroke of midnight, on the eve of the full moon, a woman approached the easternmost way. She stopped and pulled down her hood, while the man in black waited in the shadows and watched. She lit a candle and began to walk counterclockwise from east to north, north to west, west to south, and back to the east again, circling the crossroads. Three times did she go round, all while chanting, Man in black, Lord of the crossroads, I conjure you here, I conjure you here, I conjure you here man appeared before the woman and said, Lady of the night, why do you come to the crossroads? I come to make a trade, she replied. I offer you dark bread from my home for a boon. What an offering, exclaimed the man in black, and they ate it up hungrily. Come back again at the same time tomorrow and bring with you red wine to complement the bread. 
she left and turned the following night. Under the full moon, she encircled the crossroads again three times, starting in the east while chanting. Man in black, lord of the crossroads, I conjure you here, I conjure you here, I conjure you here. The man appeared before the woman and said, Lady of the night, why do you come to the crossroads? I come to make a trade, she replied. I offer you red wine from my home for a boon. What an offering, the man in black exclaimed, and drank it up in a single gulp. Come back again at the same time tomorrow and bring with you a red thorny rose to complement the bread and wine. She turned and left and returned the following night. Under the light of the moon's day-old fullness, she encircled the crossroads again three times, starting in the east while chanting, Man in black, Lord of the crossroads, I conjure you here, I conjure you here, I conjure you here. The man appeared before the woman and said, Lady of the night, why do you come to the crossroads? I come to make a trade, she replied. I offer you a red thorny rose from my garden for a boon. What an offering, exclaimed the man in black as she handed them the rose. They took both their hands and placed them around her fist, holding the stem and squeezed. Blood wept from between her fingers as the thorns bit into her palm, yet she neither flinched nor made a sound. You offer me food and drink, beauty and blood. I accept your offerings and have gifts to bestow. Tell me, what is it you ask of me and I shall deliver it to you? said the man in black. She looked deep into the darkness, shaded by the wide brim hat, and told them her deepest desire. And deliver it, they did. Let's talk about folkloric initiation, because this takes a completely different perspective of what initiation is. We talked about what it means now to have yourself or to, to to have someone initiate you into an actual tradition, initiatory tradition. Now let's talk about folkloric initiation, because this is a little bit different. It's a different viewpoint. Um, I have a couple here that are like just examples that we have seen throughout history and folklore. And it's interesting because some of these are literally initiation by birth. Literally, they're just your circumstances. They're, they're happenstances of what people interpreted as signs that the spirit has touched you, the divine has touched you. And one of them, of course, is being born with a placental sack unbroken or still attached to your head. Like there is old wives tales about the, the idea that if a child or infant is born with the uh, placental sack still intact, or, you know, I think there was like a specific word used when it was kind of still over the, a call, yes, still over the head. It was believed that that you would be touched with gifts. You would literally just naturally have the ability to possibly be uh, more cyclically aware, commune with spirits, see things that others might not be able to. Um, you see that in Appalachian and I believe in Ozarkian folklore, if I'm not mistaken. It's um, it's very commonplace to uh, view it. In, in many different cultures it does show up yes a lot in uh in, in an american context mostly in appalachia but that's also because so much of 
was carried or over from Europe. Right. Um, and so therefore it's like, oh, if you look back, but the, the idea behind this is that your, um, when you are born, you're born in water. And uh, well, this is one theory behind it, uh, mm -hmm. that you are born still in water. Uh, yeah. And the water, <laughs> yeah, and the water, <laughs> the placental... Just, just a bunch of baby pee. Yeah, the the placental matrix or, or whatever is um, water is connected to the land of uh, the realm of spirit, right? So mm -hmm. this is why in oftentimes like we, we, we talk about mirrors and, and being careful around them and also bodies of water, um, why... Uh, for so many people, water relates to the West and is talked about as like the setting sun and the mm -hmm. realm of the dead. Um, but because you are born within this amphibious kind of, not really, but you know what I mean, uh, you're born in water. And so therefore you are still within the realm of the dead, which is very uh, interesting. And, and so if you... Uh, are born with that you you have already this connection also uh like twins as well is like mm -hmm. this this idea that twins are not uh and that this goes into a lot of complicated topics on the matter but this idea that like twins are unnatural uh again complicated subjects uh and we could definitely talk about that more the fetishization of that and also what that that looks like in um uh, a much more complicated context, but uh, that the that one uh, spirit is already in the realm of the spirit world, and mm. so therefore, this person has uh, or these the they have a connection to mm -hmm. to the realm of the spirits. Um, yeah, small tangent, a small tangent about twins, which I find very very fascinating. Years ago, um. I read The Queen of the Damned. Have you ever read The Queen of the Damned? I haven't read it, no. You've seen the movie, though, right? Yeah. Okay. So I loved the movie when it came out. And and of course, I understand that Aaliyah passed away before they could actually finish filming. So there were scenes that ultimately never got to be filmed in the first place, which is why it's cut up and edited the way that it is. I just don't know how many scenes and how much, because when you read the book, you realize that Aunt Maharet, one of the main characters, who's supposed to have flaming red hair, by the way, an Egyptian mm -hmm. with flaming red hair. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, she has like barely there level three RV going on, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, in the book, she was a twin. And it explains the history of her being, her and her twin were considered, you know, they were psychic. They were considered magical uh, beings. They were, they were revered by their people. They were, were sought to, um, and I'm not going to get into the whole history of the book itself, but I just found it fascinating that a massive plot point of this book was the power of these two twins from ancient Egypt who actually cursed um, uh, uh, Akasha with to be the first vampire. And mm. it was very, very interesting because... Yeah, I didn't know that. In the book, the concept was uh, she was part of a clan of people, of Egyptians, who um, they consumed their dead as a ceremonial practice, a religious practice. And Akasha, as the new queen, uh, was like having none of it. She absolutely banned the practice, and she realized that that was not helping her case as being the new queen of Egypt. So she decided to invite um, 
and I could be paraphrasing because it's been a long time since I read it. She decided to invite Maharat and her twin sister and uh, explain to them that this can no longer happen. She basically banned them from doing it, calling them cannibals and awful. So they basically cursed her with the need to feed on human blood because saying you can't take away our religious practice from us, we'll curse you instead. So that's where vampirism came from. And the whole point of the book of her being the queen is that the first thing she does, she's so, so, so thirsty for human blood. She has no control over it. The only way she can lessen that thirst is by passing it on. So the Mm. first thing she does is make the king, the pharaoh, another vampire. Uh-huh. And then continue to spread it amongst others who become vampires, who ultimately, of course, end up uh, taking on the curse themselves, uh, Maharat and her twin sister, which is why they live forever, because they cursed the queen and they are now connected to her forever, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, they stripped the entire movie of this plot point, which was so important because it was ultimately the twin sister who killed Akasha in the book. Spoilers, too late. <laughs> I, I knew I knew that Aaliyah died, obviously, before the movie was finished, but I never put two and two together because I just recently watched it again because it like it's on Hulu right now. Yeah. Um, and so Great I rewatched it. Great Halloween movie. Also, a killer soundtrack. Like, oh, uh, like I'm sorry, sexy Lestat. My God, yeah, very uh, like, and and Super and then talented. any other time, if I don't, if I listen to like, well, no, I like Deftones still, but if I listen to any of the music outside of that context, I'm like, oof, this is too 2000s cringe. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I never realized like until I rewatched it, I was like, this movie does not make sense. I was like, there's, this whole, this whole, so movie, much context missing. Yeah, I'm like, this movie does not make sense, especially towards the end. Um, but that that makes I, I I've never put that together. That yeah, of course they had to to remove a bunch of scenes because of Aaliyah's tragedy. Well, you, you don't actually get how Aaliyah how Aaliyah or Aaliyah, how Akasha became a vampire. Like you don't even get that in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I never, yeah, I, there's a bunch of things that I never understood. Right, right, right. Anyways, tangent over. I just thought it was actually really pervasive to the whole twin comment because that also was thought of i mean like if you want to go into folklore if you want to go into several centuries ago and, and anything still is. Born, yeah anything born out of the norm would have been considered not normal which might end up taking on different types of folklore connotations and i think is still a good, pretty pretty usually oftentimes a decent indicator of yeah. um Witchcraft. We have other other things um, in in American folklore too. I actually have a whole class on this. Um, it, shameless plug, if you would like, way. If you're interested in it. Um, it is called "Cast Me Cruel with Heart of Thorn: Folkloric uh, Witchcraft Initiations in America." Um, uh, it's pulling from a handful of resources. Uh, that talks about the different forms of initiation, specifically like black cat and black toad bone rites, or toad bone rites and black cat bone rites, um, as well as uh, we talk about calls, we talk about mm-hmm. uh, silver bullets, um, and a bunch of other things, especially mm-hmm. the one that we're going to talk about right now, which is placing your hand uh, under your feet. Uh, and uh, one hand over your head and pledging everything between you and the devil. Um, wh- one of my favorite initiatory, I think I think this is the right one, but like you're supposed to do that, but you're supposed to do it at the top of a mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw that. That was from uh, uh, Silver Bullet and other American Witch Stories. 
Yes. And you place your hand and your feet at, uh, at the top of a mountain and you renounce God. And I believe you say, um, by succubus, Beelzebub, and all the princes of hell or something like that. But I love the use of succubus as being like turned into a, a noun or like a, uh, yeah, a noun into like a proper noun or an adjective, mm -hmm. um, whatever that English term is. It's, it's not a type of thing anymore. It now becomes a name. And right. I think that's very interesting. Exactly. No, I, I think that's so funny. Um, this is so stupid, but like, I always get this image when I, when I write this down, because I've talked about this in folklore before. And I know it's putting my hand under my feet and the other one on top of my head. But every time I do that, I always think of when you put one hand on your head and one hand on your stomach and you try to rub one while patting <laughs> the too. other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, what's really interesting is so like uh, one of the things that I did um, with or one of the things I might do if I had a witch bottle buried somewhere on my property for protection, I was very inspired by this initiatory rite because one of the things that my witch bottle might have if I had one um, would be hair from the top of my head, fingernail clippings, and toenail clippings because it is literally covering me to protect me from head to toe. Uh -huh. And I think sometimes people don't always think about like some of those those um, sympathetic symbol symbolism that's going on. So if it just says like, okay, you need hair, you need fingernails. You need some nails and you need some piss. And sometimes I like to take things just a little bit further with my own symbolism. And so I didn't, I, I might not just put fingernails. I'll also put toenail clippings in there as well, because I want protection literally from my head to my toes. No, yeah, that's a that's a very uh, good point that you make. And also taking, taking it to your point, uh, there's for, for certain works that I've done, uh, the importance of having, you know, hair from all over the body. So making mm -hmm. sure that you, uh, from the genitals, from the, the top of the head, and like you said, fingernail clippings from both the hands and the feet for that mm -hmm. very reason, uh, protecting, um, you from all over from top and bottom and also your genitals, which, uh, which is love to come after, especially oh, yeah. if you have a dick. Uh, this spell calls for hair from your taint. <laughs> <laughs> Pluck. Uh, wait, does it have to be plucked or can it be shaved? No, <laughs> it needs to have the follicles still yeah, attached. Yeah, you need to, and it, the pain needs to be there. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things, so before when we were talking about like examples of initiation, like in the church itself, here we have kind of the opposite listed saying the Lord's Prayer, bra Lord's Prayer backwards. This is rife throughout folklore from American folklore all the way to European folklore, probably because that's where it stems from in the first place. But the concept is, is that most of us, if not all of us that were baptized, were done, were have done so by our parents before we could consent. So it is a it is quite a symbolic gesture to initiate yourself by making a ritual that involves saying the Lord's Prayer backwards to de-baptize yourself, to renounce your baptism. And a lot of times the the putting the hands over the feet and head and doing the Lord's Prayer backwards might have been a, a collection of things that were done by both. Um I don't care if I don't care if I talk about it. I've done that. I did that. I was baptized before I was too young to consent and part of my personal uh self-initiation 
did start with at one point saying the Lord's Prayer backwards to renounce my own personal baptism. Now, if that's not something you personally feel called or need to do, you don't have to. This is, again, many ways to skin a cat, many ways to go through these things. Have you ever done that? Um, I won't talk too much about my initiations mm -hmm. and the things that I've uh, gained, gathered, and given up, but mm -hmm. I will say that that does bring me to something that's not on our brief that I do want to mention, and this is mention like, away. this is something, I also talk about this in my class as well, but like the, the, the rub of it all. Um, a lot of the times, so within the context of initiation like these things are not just done and they're mm -hmm. not just done lightly okay. um so many people are wanting to do witchcraft stuff and it always begs the question of why or like initiate into witchcraft and it begs the question of why mm -hmm. and people can have their own reasons for doing it but i will say that like there is still like i know for a lot of people the relationship between them and witchcraft is when you when you're really doing and getting into the work it can be very tumultuous it can be very um it's it's a it's a tough relationship like it's not for me for for many people i know it's not just like an something that it, it gives you great benefits but there's a lot of costs that comes with that as well um, as opposed to some other traditions, or not even traditions, but other ways of going about doing magic, sorcery, which can be a little bit more, um, I think, less strings attached. That's not holistically true. But um, witchcraft does, it, it puts your soul uh, in jeopardy if we're, if we're going by folklore. Um, that being said, in folklore, there's a lot of mention of... Uh, something called the witch's sixpence. This is uh, the witch's sixpence is specifically something that comes from uh, Randolph. Um, and this isn't on our brief, but this uh, thing that happens when a witch initiates and then it is said that like somebody in her family dies or something very tragic. Um, Ooh and I call, I just call it a, a, a harrowing. Um, and I call it that because it is oftentimes harrowing experiences, formative experiences that when we remove ourselves from one spiritual protection into another, um, you know, who knows for why, uh, it could be because, you know, the spirits we were originally pacted to are getting after us or because spirits, uh, are, uh, forming us into something better or just don't like us. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I always find that, uh, while death isn't always a byproduct of those things, I know like my initiatory spirit experiences, um, which I've been open about revolved around me being homeless and like houseless and, um, the difficult experiences around that and being like fucking dirt poor and having to work magic, um, to do better magic so that I wasn't in that position. And I do always want to remind people that like this, um, there's a there's a cost to witchcraft and also too, there's a, like this shouldn't necessarily just be taken super lightly. We should have fun, mm -hmm. but like it shouldn't be um, incredibly whimsical or off the cuff, I guess.
rant over. <laughs> well, you know, um, that, that definitely makes sense. I do think that a lot of when it comes to spirit initiation, like we're we're coming up and and showing you talking about a lot of different ways in which quote unquote initiation happens for a practitioner, a witch. Um, one of them that is the most abstract itself is spirit initiation because it can look very different. Sometimes it's a ritual you put together yourself. Sometimes it's something that happens to you and you uh, you grab the situation by the balls and and you make a pact or you make a deal or you find yourself, like in folklore many times, in a desperate situation. Um these are things that happen and and i have myself have many times experienced working magic and then realizing because i didn't put this qualifier because i didn't put this caveat because um i was too general with my wording uh ultimately have found that the price i ended up kind of not the price but the cost of it kind of came from somewhere and i have learned from these experiences to do better today than I did say three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. I literally remember when I had a friend over and um, I lost power. Like we literally like total black blackout in our neighborhood. And when the power, I decided to go in my bedroom, I did a spell to bring the power back on and the power came back on, but the internet did not. And it was like one of those things where I, my neighbor had internet, my friend who lived over there in my same building, we, we, we all had spectrum, all had spectrum, but mine did not. And it was making me think a lot about the way we put energy into and the way we put qualifiers into. And sometimes I find that sometimes it's a trade-off. Sure, you get this, but I'm going to take this. Well, you didn't say you wanted that too. You just said you wanted power. And like it, it, it or electricity. So like there are certain things that I now do are make qualifiers around. Um, and that's like a, just a small little example, but I've had multiple things happen. Uh, ultimately that make me much, much, much more clear with the packs that I now make. And, and initiation is, is one of those things that sometimes we find ourselves at, between a rock and a hard place. And witchcraft becomes the one thing that we have left to reach for, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The mm -hmm. the um, potential coercion, also mm -hmm. the idea that, like, um, if you, uh, I know so many people like to think that they're, of course, making the conscious effort, but in a lot of stories and a lot of belief systems like you are not um you're coerced into witchcraft it's it's not uh, a conscious effort it's uh this is this is something that we see through other um initiatory experiences as well like you're mm -hmm. uh i'm going to make your life a living hell until you um join me uh is something oh. that that comes up um I read that in the Bible a lot, actually. Well, I don't, I, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people uh, think that it's it's like going to just completely liberate yourself from uh, chains, and I don't think so. Like, if if we have bureaucracy with uh, 
it's it's bureaucracy all the way down. You're always going to be entangled up with somebody. Yes. Um, now, you're, you're, you're not a vacuum. Right, right, right. And of course, there are, again, there's lots of different types of paths within the craft. So there are definitely, I, I'm like, I know a lot of, I know a lot of witches who are not going to have the same sort of bogged down spirit contracts because those aren't the ones that they're contracting with, that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is the concept of going to a crossroads. Like there's certain stories I've seen in folklore also that I really like that talk about, um, there's a story in the, the silver bullet about this man's wife who sneaks out to uh, perform a initiatory ritual three nights in a row. And she goes into the woods. She lights a fire and dances around it under a full moon three nights in a row, um, then comes back in the morning and slips back in bed. And the whole concept is, is what she is doing is she is going out and making a, a in the story, a pact with the devil to become a witch. And she is bringing a, ch I believe she brings a chicken with her every time as well. And like the whole point of this is that she is going out to a, a liminal space, a place away from prying eyes, whether that's a crossroads or an edge or deep into the forest, a place that is separate from society, if that makes sense, and um, makes this bargain, makes this pack. The devil comes, says, come back tomorrow. She does it for three days in a row. I've seen ones that are every Sunday at midnight for nine days. Um, there's a lot of different stories that exist in this, and one I've heard from someone personally and some that I've read before. Um, but that's also kind of where you get the concept of the uh, the Black Toad, which we've discussed. We talked with Gemma Gary about the initiatory rite of going to church, getting a host, secreting it away, and then going back to the churchyard, a dark forest, or a crossroads, and feeding it to a toad at midnight. And the toad is, is supposedly in the form of a devil, and that's that's your initiation. And And once you have fed it, the devil blesses you as a witch, and then supposedly a familiar will come to you. Another favorite toady thing of mine is uh, the toad bone, right? Oh, yes. Um, uh, this comes from a lot of different uh, thoughts on, and it's specific toads. That's the thing. Um, it's it's not just supposed to be any toads. They're called, um, oh God, what are they? Uh, I can't remember. I think they're called like... Um, riding toads horse toads something like that but they're a very specific kind of toad and the purpose of uh, the ritual is to gain mastery over beasts and animals especially for people who are uh, they call themselves toad men but people who are uh, especially work with horses and want to gain mastery over the uh, power of horses uh, and this was a practice that was done up until pretty much the 20th century uh, the mid 20th century and and I'm sure it's still continued into one form or another today but now that we don't um, rely as heavily on horses as we do cars um, the practice certainly has changed uh, but this idea that you would find this toad that uh, literally looks kind of like a, a galloping horse when it leaps and you uh, on certain at a certain time you would take the toad and stab it into an you would impale it with a, a black thorn or a white thorn um, into an anthill 
let the ants eat it and then take this uh, toad skeleton to a river or a body of water and you would toss it into the body of water and then the uh, particular bone, either the hook or the shovel, um, which are you know, sh literal shapes of the bones uh, are, are going to float up. Sometimes it's both, sometimes it's one or the other, depending on the story. And then you are supposed to, um, you basically have a rap battle with Satan um, and <laughs> you have to, to, you know, despite the noises you hear, all of those things that you're supposed to take the bones up and keep them in a charm bag or powder it um and use it for certain things and this is supposed to give you mastery over horses or uh animals in general wild beasts and uh yeah it's it's a very interesting initiatory experience like i said it's it's not commonly practiced because of our not reliance on horses as much uh, mm -hmm. as as it used to be but um i'm sure it's practiced in in some way shape or form still there's a um there's a book I have it somewhere. I think it's called Abraxas, and I th I do believe that a good portion of it is taken from a previous author and kind of just repackaged. But the whole thing is basically it's a book of of toadmen rights or the rights of the toadmen, and it starts with the toadbone right. Um, and it's very interesting because I remember the first time I read Jim McGarry's traditional witchcraft. It was the revised edition. It was the audio book, and she talks about. She does mention the Tobone right and kind of go over a very, very light description of it. And then I believe in the in the Black Toad, which was the next book that she wrote afterwards, she goes more fully into the history of and the use of the Tobone right, but also clarifies, I in no way, shape, or form am endorsing you go out and kill a toad. If anyone were to do this in modern day, a lot of times they are just taking an already deceased toad or a freshly deceased toad, or if you're going to make ritual sacrifice, a lot of these books are not necessarily giving you this information so you can go out and kill a bunch of animals. That's not like the point of it necessarily. Yeah. Um, because a lot of places, especially where these originated from, were literally infested with with certain toads, um, this, especially. The, the specific toad is is quite rare. So you wouldn't, you'd have to really look for it. Oh, but, okay. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. But um, that being said, like, yeah, don't don't go out and kill a bunch of toads. Yeah, I I mean, I have um some animal bones and carcasses and things that I've collected that I have found to have died in my near vicinity. Um, birds that have fallen, uh, snakes that kind of got, you know, stepped on or hit with a shuffle. Um, I'm just put some in salt, cut off their feet, give them a and... burial. The the book that you're referencing, uh, it's probably that's funny you said that you think it's repackaged. Uh, so Chumbly wrote a really pretty well known, very long essay, but it is turned mm -hmm. into a book. Uh, you can get it at Three Hands Press, I'm pretty sure. Um, that is on uh, toad magic specifically and extensively covers the toad bone right a lot more thoroughly than we can mm -hmm. here but this idea that um you know he does specifically say like people are not just doing this uh as like solely a witchcraft initiation they're mostly doing it for horse specifically like horsemen toadmen business as well as 
um, they are not doing it. It's a very intense ritual initiation. And so you're not doing it just because that is the option of that's the way that I'm going to get into witchcraft. It's, yeah. it's done through um, omens and, and uh, intense dream direction. Like this is the, th this is the way that you're supposed to do it. Um, so it isn't just something to be done. And it is also said that like, there are severe consequences if you don't complete the right. So right. Um, it isn't supposed to be something that you do uh, gently. And yeah. finally, uh, I forgot my point, so never mind. And the book wasn't Abraxas. I got it. It was Borax. It looks like this. And it is, I think it is absolutely um, heavily inspired. I'm using vocal air quotes here um, by some material that already existed beforehand. Um, but yeah, I have it. It was interesting. I don't think I want to do any of the magic from it because whoever wrote it was specifically basing it off of the idea that they would have an abundance of toads around them. Oh, because it's that... not just the toad bone right in this. There's like all sorts of to like toad men themselves was a a title for a certain type of cunning man who works with toads. Like right. a lot of the magic all comes from parts of the toads, dry toads, bones of this toad, um, uh, livers of this toad, three toads powdered up in this to cure your cot, like all sorts of those things like that. So it was built off of the idea that there would be an abundance and you wouldn't be like out here murdering just a bunch of toads. Mm -hmm. yeah for to uh, for toadies the emphasis is also that the the toad like uh for this particular right like the, the toad yeah. has to be slaughtered it's not just oh i have toad bones like you have to kill the toad that, that, oh, that is sad that's so sad well before we close out for this discussionary topic um i do think that there is the recognition that a lot of times whether we're Inter going into an initiatory tradition or being solitary, uh, it, it can feel very formal to to do a form of initiatory or a, of, of initiation. I myself um, did my own personal initiation. And while I won't go into the ceremony or, or thing that I did, things that I did specifically, um, I will say that I was very inspired by uh, The Devil's Dozen, uh, which has a couple of different specific rites that involve calling up the man in black, renouncing your baptism. Uh, I, I was very inspired by The Crooked Path by Keldon, which has a personal initiatory right in there as well. And I, I wrote my own initiation. Um, I went to the woods and stayed there for two nights in the weekend. It was under literally a, a full moon. I went out at midnight. I had a fire going. I did the thing that I wrote and, and put together and then experienced um, there are, again, a couple of great books I might suggest if you would want to go out and do this yourself. I do think Kelton's Crooked Path is great. Devil's Dozen is great. Uh, there's even, I believe, uh, uh, there's not an initiatory right in traditional witchcraft, but I know that there is a somewhat, a similar one, uh, in Besamstang and Sword as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it is, um, oh, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. it's their way of, of calling a crossroads and mm -hmm. then um, uh, doing a thing. Yes. It's, 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 yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, it's good. And so if you yourself were wanting to actually formalize your own initiation, I, I am someone that, 
I live in chaos, but I, I, I do like organizing my thoughts in my craft. I do like writing things down. I do like uh, having things to call back and, and, I wanted to formalize my initiation. I waited till the timing was specific. Uh, I, like I said, I chose the full moon. I chose midnight. I wanted uh, to make this a formal event for myself. This is also the, you know what? Leave that part out. But this, this was basically me spending a lot of time doing research and learning about uh, traditional witchcraft. This is before I was like getting into this. Because um, before it was more of just like an eclectic witch and, and getting a traditional witchcraft was really opening up my, my mind in different ways to my practice that I was really, really resonating with. So I wanted to do some of these specific rituals that I was inspired by in the Devil's Dozen and and the Crooked Path. Um, so I wrote my own, and that might involve calling up specific spirits you would like to make your patrons. That might be uh, um, writing down promises you are going to make. That might be writing down, this is what I expect from you. This is what I'm going to give to you. That might be calling in specific familiars. Like there's lots of ways that this can be done. And there are a lot of really wonderful books that have kind of like helped guide people to build their own initiatory uh, uh, experience. Yeah. Final thoughts? Final thoughts? Or were those your final thoughts? I mean, those are my final thoughts on initiation. I do think many of us experience spirit initiation without us making the choice to do it, if that makes sense. Like we have these encounters and then we either move forward recognizing those encounters and what they mean to us or we don't. Mm -hmm. um, and some of us will want to have these formal things. Like it reminds me a lot of like, how do I know a deity is calling to me? Like sometimes people really deeply feel in the depths of their soul that a deity is calling to them. And I'm not here to argue with that, but for the most of the time, it's you who seek them. It's you who feel inspired by wanting to learn about them. It's you reaching out and, and uh, beseeching and, and, Things can happen both ways, but if you would like to build an initiatory experience or have an initiation, um, I think that's absolutely something that, for me, felt like a cement step that I made in my practice. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. For me, final thoughts is um, if you want to do initiation into uh personal like personalized witchcraft initiation i would ask why um and ask you asking yourself why not, yeah. not me asking you why um yeah. uh because then there is a there's a bit of um no strings attached safety net when when you get when you're not right because like you don't necessarily have the kind of things that you're beholden to mm -hmm. um and because remember there's it is it is relational it is not just take 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 because mm -hmm. when you start taking too much they'll remind you they will remind you who put you in your place of of power mm -hmm. and that can be taken away um and so 
I will say that asking yourself why will be important. Asking, making sure that you that you're getting your good end of the bargain, and they're getting something equal and or lesser than you. <laughs> um, and yeah, and and then after that, have fun or don't. I don't know. Well, it's I'm, interesting. I'm not your priest. I would say my final thought on initiation in itself is that it's important to remember that initiation is literally the most spiritual aspect of witchcraft itself. I feel like that's where those contracts are made. That's where those promises are made. That's where that interaction, that relationship really kind of begins. We might are, think that, oh, go ahead. No, yeah, it, it just, it makes me think like, there are a lot of different ways we can practice different forms of craft that don't necessarily involve doing that. You know, it's it, it's very relationship heavy. I I yeah. can it. It's not quite the same, or maybe maybe some people will have different opinions than me on that. But it's not exactly like spirit marriage. But it, oh yeah, no, and, I wouldn't call it that. But it can be very similar to that and sometimes might have you do that uh as your initiation so you know just um be aware and have fun and sign your sign your soul away as soon as you possibly can go at it go for it what do i know <laughs> have fun i'm not your priest The Red Meal. On the day of the 31st, on October's final night, a special feast is made, a witch's offering rite. At a place of sacred space, a glass of wine blood red, given to the spirits, and a loaf of fresh dark bread. Call in the Crossrodian lords, the spirits of your court, those who have come and gone, and their land and sky cohorts. The red meal is a thanks and communion with the in-between, a housel Cochrane coined for those who go unseen. Speak the cunning words and let them know of your boon. The following prayer send out and with the spirits commune. Happy Halloween, happy Samhain, happy All Hallows Eve. The dead are alive, the veil is thin, we don masks to deceive. A liminal time, a witch's new year, high magic do we weave. The devil dances, the witch mother does sing. All one must do is believe. We break the bread, we sip the wine, hallowed blessings we receive. And for the spirits of above and below, an offering we leave. A bite of bread, a sip of wine, and to your soul do take. And leave the rest for the ones of old and the dead to partake. No more shall it remain there longer than a day times three, then give it back to the land, at a crossroads or where dead be. And remember this yearly rite, remember those who came before, and remember those we loved and lost, and honor the spirits once more. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters by name, Witchrafa, V, Tracy, T, 
Timothy, The Witch of Patapsco Forest, The Modern Babylon, The Lady Ghost, Shanna, Nico, Lisa, Keith, Key, Johnny, John, Jens, Jennifer, Jennifer Squared, Jason, Jamisa, Giles, Colby, Cindy, Callie, Ariella, and Adity. Thank you all so much.